0: Good morning, Cornerstone. Not bad. Not bad for a late service. You guys are doing well. You know, and I uh, was thinking about what I wanted to share with you guys this morning, I, I was thinking through this biggest moment thing that we've been sharing from week to week. And uh, my problem was I was trying to think of what those big, biggest moments were, and there were so many of them because my biggest moment was the opportunity to lead somebody to Jesus Christ. And uh so those are moments that I'll always remember, and those are moments that are probably the most powerful moments in my life. So this morning I thought I'd shift gears a little bit because uh God's put something on my heart that I think is really, really critical. And it's all about work. And the title of the message this morning is work, a four-letter word. And I don't know about you, but I know some of you are retired here this morning and, and you're probably thrilled that you're not working anymore. Um, But I want to share some statistics with you that are kind of interesting. In 2013, in a Gallup poll, they found that 70% of those surveyed either hate their jobs or completely disengaged. Uh, 50% of workers who were disengaged, uh, what that means really is that they will show up, but they're not inspired no matter what the perks are at the workplace. It's estimated uh, from one of the statistics that I read that it costs the U.S. 450 to $550 billion per year in lost productivity, stolen goods, and missed days of work. I mean, it's an incredible issue. Uh, for some, maybe the opposite's true. Maybe some of you kind of worship your work. You know, you're a workaholic. Uh, work is really motivating to you, and it's something that's really important, and you found your identity in your work. And so consequently, your work has become what you do rather than who you are in Christ. And so I want to share a little bit again, why then do we work? Well, some of you might say, I oh, I owe, so off to work I go. So that's why I work. I remember when I was a little kid growing up, I would walked to school with a friend of mine and we'd sing, hi-ho, hi-ho, we're off to school, we go, we learn some junk and then we flunk, hi-ho, hi-ho, hi-ho. <laughs> Unfortunately, that was too much of the story of my educational career, so I won't go there anymore, but, you know, why do we work? Well, I've been recently reading a book called Work Matters. It's by a pastor named Tom Nelson. He's a friend of mine uh, from uh, Kansas City, and he has a great, great way of expressing to you as a person sitting there this morning as to why your work really matters, and so I want to discuss that with you this morning. And I want to start by reading uh, the Genesis account of creation because that's where it all starts. That's where it all starts. So if you check with me in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 25 or 26, uh, God said this, Let us make man in our own image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Keep in mind that word rule because it's an interesting word. So God created man in his own image. So we're his image bearers bearers. And in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule, again, that same word, over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground. Everything that has the breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food, and it was so, and God saw all that he made, and it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So God created. God, in his in essence, had, was a creative worker, and we're to be as image barriers, and so we're to be, quote, creative workers as well. Now, what's fascinating here is you look at the word rule over, which what he said was we were given dominion or rule over all of the plants and animals of the earth, This word also could mean two different things. So first of all, it could mean works of service or craftsmanship. So he's he's saying, you know, I want you to make sure that you are doing works of service. That's what a lot of us did yesterday when we were out working with service. But craftsmanship. and then, But it also has an alternative meaning that's kind of interesting because in other instances in the Old Testament, that same word, which means avodah in the Hebrew, means to worship. Which brings on a whole new perspective as to what your work is really all about. So principle number one, before the fall of man, God designed us to work. And it was supposed to be something that we would enjoy. Something that would be creative. Something to express ourselves and to, to be like Christ and that he created. So we could create at work and we could be just really blessed by our work. So God designed us to work, not to be idle. But principle number two is that God's design, original design for work, was also to be an everyday act of worship. Have you ever thought about that? Scripture does tell us that whatever you do in Colossians chapter 3, do your work with all your heart as to the Lord. Do we understand that no matter what job we do, it's an opportunity to worship God. So if you go to work tomorrow morning, you're not going to work, you're going to worship. You get it? If you thought about your work being an act of worship every day, it's an opportunity to bring God into the workplace in a powerful and loving and Christ-like way. So work is an act of worship. That's the way God really intended it. There's a great story about some masons. There were three stone masons who were asked by a visitor, "What are you doing?" Uh, the first mason said, "I'm cutting stone." The second mason chimed in and said, I'm making a living. Well, the third mason responded, I'm building a cathedral of God for his people. See, there's a difference. When you bring a worshipful attitude to work, you see purpose, you see opportunity, you see a way that you can bring the glory of God into the workplace. I remember trying to model this principle even when I was a janitor for a couple of years. I was a a janitor working for a school district and, and, uh, I was cleaning elementary classrooms every evening after the kids left and, you know, picking up gum off from under the chairs and cleaning their restrooms and, and doing a lot of dirty work. But it was, I was really proud of the fact that I could leave that room looking really spotless. And that was in and of itself an act of worship for me. But to even create an even, a different flavor, I would write maybe a thought for the day or a scripture verse or a psalm on the blackboard. And the teachers so appreciated that. We probably couldn't get away with that today, but back then we did. And it was an opportunity for me to at least express a little bit of who I was beyond just being a janitor. It was an opportunity for me to have a ministry in that teacher's life. But a problem exists, as you know, because if you move on into scripture in chapter 3 of Genesis, work changed after creation. Work was designed to be something to enjoy, something to energize us, something to use our creativity, all of that. But unfortunately, it says in chapter 3, verse 17, that Adam listened to his wife. Don't do that, guys. Don't listen to your wives. It, that's why it's spoiled work, but no. It says here in verse 17, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Therefore, cursed is the ground because of you, through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. So work then became toilsome at the fall. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So consequently, because of the fall, because man sinned, he changed the essence of where work was at. It all of a sudden became toilsome and difficult, and it was a part of the curse. Well, principle number three is that whereas work was originally designed to be pleasurable, sin caused work to be toilsome and difficult. For some of you, work is really a tough place. It's difficult to describe. You maybe have a lousy boss. You maybe have a situation where it's very political. There could be all kinds of issues going on at work. This is kind of interesting. Uh, if you know a guy named Mike Rowe who does the TV show, uh, The Dirtiest Jobs, um, you know he would pick up rattlesnakes or clean septic tanks or pick up roadkill. And on one of his, web- on his website, he, he invites all those who are stuck at dead-end jobs to consider a new calling. And here's what he describes. Like this job description of a roadkill collector. Must be able to work long hours braving oncoming traffic while picking up creatures of various size and breed and in various states of decay. Benefits include working outdoors. Strong stomach a plus. So if you think the grass is greener somewhere else, here's an opportunity for you. Now, some of you might say, well, pastor, you don't really understand my job. You know, your your job is different. You get to work with, quote, Christian people all the time, and you get to live in the ivory tower, and you get to do all the well, uh, time out. Let me just describe to you. I was just recently with eight pastors uh, down in Phoenix, and we were talking about resilience in ministry and how difficult ministry is. In fact, if you know statistics, 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month. And, uh, the stress levels are over the top for ministers today. And so sometimes when you think, well, if I could just work in a Christian environment, you know, things would be just so much easier. And that's not true. Let me, let me just tell you that. I mean, when I left the local church pastorate, I, my blood pressure dropped 20 points. I mean, there's pressure at work. The grass is not greener somewhere else. And sometimes we get that, that itchiness to kind of leave when in reality, the every workplace is infected by sin, whether you're in a Christian environment or not. Let me give you principle number four this morning. In God's economy, there's no partiality towards one job or another. The reason I say that, I mean, think about it for a minute. Uh, this struck me the other day. Jesus was 33 years old when he was crucified, right? Right? How many years did he spend in what we would consider today called full-time vocational ministry? We think of three years, right? He was a carpenter for 30 years. He was just a carpenter in Nazareth, a dirty, dusty old town in Nazareth where nothing good would come from, according to a lot of folks during that day. But he was a, a, a master carpenter during that 30 years of his life Having a very effective ministry of just building things that were of quality, that were going out to people. Having a reputation, I'm sure, of integrity and, and, and perfection and quality. See, Jesus had a ministry before he was 30 years old, before he was 33, right? You know, what's really scary about what's happened, in, at least in the evangelicalism world, is that we put people who are in full-time ministry, quote, vocational ministry, missionaries, pastors, and parachurch people, and we sort of put them on a pedestal, and we put them up here and say, oh, you're called. You know, God was doing something special with you. I was thinking about this here a few weeks ago when uh, we had the Grace and Peace gals from Cambodia live with us for a month of April, and, and I remember the gals coming home one day and said, you know, everybody at church just thinks we're this really special people, but you know, we go to work, we've got issues, we've got problems, we have to get up in the morning, it's hot, it's humid, we've got people complaining on our staff. He says, we're, we're really not a whole lot different than anybody else. Tom Nelson, who wrote the book one day, he said an 80-year-old lady came up to him after church and said, My, that was a marvelous message, Pastor. Uh, When were you called to your ministry? And he said, he looked at her and he said, Ma'am, when were you called to your ministry? You see, we're all called to be full-time ministry people. And somehow we've got to figure out how to learn how to integrate our faith into our workplace because none of us are off the hook. And sometimes we're so compartmentalized, we think, well, I can go to my secular job and I can do my secular thing and then I can go do my church thing on Sunday and they don't even intersect. When in reality, what he's saying here is, I believe what God's saying to us is, look, you bring your worship to your workplace. You integrate your faith into your work. Everybody is called to full-time ministry. And I've been waiting to say this for a lot of years because now that I'm 66, I can say to you retirees, I don't find retirement in the Scriptures. I'm sorry. And maybe you're not getting a paycheck today from the job that you had, but you are still called to full-time ministry. And no matter where you are, what you're doing, whether it's volunteering, whether it's playing golf, or whatever is going on in your life right now in a retirement time, you have a work. You have a job to do. You're called to be a full-time missionary no matter what. Amen? That's what you're called to do. Principle number five we are all called to full time ministry no matter where we work. I'm being paid to be a professional Christian, so are you. You hear what I'm saying? You know, Scripture tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, I failed to bring this up a little bit earlier, and I apologize for that, especially for the person that's running the the, the screen, but you are chosen people, he says, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare his praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. We're all priests. I mean, if I saw you at your workplace, I would call you, hey, Father Mark. No, I'm just teasing here or sister, whatever. I mean, we're all called to be holy priests. You know, just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean that I'm any more called or less called than you are. We've got to figure this out. We've got to stop this kind of dualism that goes on in our, in our Christian culture and realize that we're all called. We all live in the glass house. People are always looking at us. <clears throat> So what are the ways you can integrate your faith or, in essence, your worship into your workplace? Let me give you some ideas this morning. First one is this. Show up with the right attitude. Just show up. I mean, how many people don't even show up to work? Just show up. Show up, but show up with the right attitude. You know, it's really interesting, especially in the service industry today, when people say that they're going to be there and they're going to fix your AC or they're going, to, they're going to do your yard work or whatever, it's amazing what a testimony it is when you just show up and you show up when you said you would and be on time and have a decent attitude. So show up with the right attitude. Secondly, we can worship at our work by being the best worker that they've got on the job. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, so it's excellence in your work. Make sure that you have the work ethic that's efficient and productive, and it's really that you rise to the top and recognize that this job is more than a job. It's an expression of who I am in Christ. So you should be the best, most trustworthy worker on the job, no matter what it is. Thirdly, make sure you operate with integrity. You see, it's real easy, especially in the business community where there's a lot of ways to shortcut, to lie, to cheat, to do things unethically. And it's sad sometimes because when I see a fish next to a particular ad, it's always scary to me because when somebody wears that on their shirt sleeve, boy, they better have the integrity to back it up. Because you know as well as I do, there's a lot of business people out there that quote, quote, call themselves a Christian business, but they don't operate ethically and it's a sad state to have to do business with them. Make sure you operate with integrity. Here's the fourth thing. Be alert to the needs of your coworkers. There are great opportunities just all the time around you every day where you hear about so-and-so who's maybe going through a divorce or somebody who has a, a wife or a husband or, or a parent or somebody who's really sick and really needs something. What an opportunity for you to come alongside and say, you know, I hear so 's going on. Can, can I pray for you? Can, can I be an encouragement to you? Can I help you? Is there something I can do for you because you're going through this particular time in your life? So be alert to the needs of your coworkers. Discover what's going on around you. Instead of it being at all about yourself, check out what everybody else is doing around work and see if there's a way that you can come alongside them and be an encouragement. Here's number five. Don't be afraid to share the good news. You see, the point is is that a lot of people say, well, you know, I'll just work quietly and everybody will see my example and that's my way of really sharing who I am. But they don't know who in the world or why in the world you're doing it. Somebody asked the other day about Day of Service, why why are you doing this for me? And the reason why we're able to say is because we love you and we love Jesus. That's why. I mean, this is important that we are able to share once in a while. You say, well, at my work, we're not allowed to do that. Well, what about at lunch, or what about after work? I mean, there are ways. Here's number six. Don't get sucked into the culture that is counter to Christlikeness. What do I mean by that? Um, When I started with the police department in Phoenix back in 1999, I discovered that there were a few Christians hanging out on the SWAT team and in the bomb squad and the K-9 unit. But what I saw was an interesting thing where these guys were sort of like undercover Christians. You know what I mean? And and because there's this cop culture of, of, of being macho and everything, I got it under control and, and so on and so forth, they would get sucked into that so dramatically that it was really hard to see any real difference in these guys' lives until you got them aside and you started asking them questions. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I accept Christ, blah, 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 blah. I'm thinking, Really? And so that, that culture is easy to get sucked into. I mean, you, you remember, I remember when I was a teacher and I was in the teacher's lounge even at student teaching time and the teacher's lounge became a place of gossip and backbiting and kind of complaining. You, you know what it's like? Your lunchroom, you're, you know, by the, uh, by the water fountain or, or whatever, whatever it is. You have a culture at your work and that culture isn't always the best kind of culture, right? Whether it's the dirty joke telling or the bar nights the night before, all that kind of stuff goes on in your workplace. And if you get absorbed into that, how do you become salt and light? How do you make a difference? How do you bring worship into that environment? Here's number seven. Number seven is pray for divine appointments. Pray for divine appointments. Back in 1999, the reason why I started with the police department is because I felt like I was not... Understanding a lot about people in their workplace. And I came out of the secular workplace to go into ministry, but, but I wanted to, I, I envied people who were in the workplace, who were working alongside of people day in and day out who didn't know anything about Jesus that I thought it'd be really, I'd really rather be out sometimes in the secular workplace than be a pastor. So I decided to get out of the ivory tower and, and try to meet some guys in their workplace. And so I chose the police department. And what was really interesting, every time I would go down to the police department on a Friday or a Thursday or whatever it was, I would pray and ask God to give me a divine appointment. And you never—I never knew what was going to happen when I got there. But I never forget one day when I when I was driving down the uh, the uh, Squaw Peak Fifty One, I was driving down to my precinct, and and I said, God, give me a divine appointment day. And two guys specifically that I really feel like I need to talk to—one of them is Juan, and the other one is Brian. Now, Brian was a guy who was suffering from ALS, and he was in the early stages, but he was starting to deteriorate, and he really knew Jesus, but he really needed a lot of encouragement. So I really was hoping that Brian would be down at the station. And then the other guy was Juan, and Juan was a guy that I really had a burden for because his son had gone through a, a homicide um, investigation, and he was struggling with a lot of things. And so I was praying that Juan and and... And Brian were down at the precinct. Well, if you know anything about the precincts on Friday, it seems like they're ghost towns. And so I got down there, and there was nobody there. Except when I got into the SWAT room and I went into the office, there were two guys who were there. Guess who there was there? Brian and Juan. And I thought, God, you, you've orchestrated this. This is no coincidence. This is, this is a real deal. And I remember talking with Brian and had a great conversation with him and he was starting to lose his speech and so it was really difficult to have a conversation. And so I prayed with Brian and and then we got a call out on a SWAT a SWAT call for a drug bust and Juan had to jump in the SWAT van and he had to go down and kind of case the house. And so I jumped in with Juan and I drove down there and we kind of sat on this house for about an hour. And during that particular time, I said to Juan, I said, Juan, do you believe in divine appointments? And he looked at me and he said, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess so. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, I, I prayed that on the way down to the, the precinct today that I would have a divine appointment. And I told him the whole story and I said, so you're my divine appointment. And he said, really? And so we started talking and I shared the Lord with him and, and, and he, he was kind of blown away by this. A few weeks later, he accepted Christ, and and I thought, God, this is what's really cool. If we're intentional, and we go to work, and we realize that there are people there who are struggling, who even though they have a smile on their face, there's some hurt, there's some pain, there's something going on. If you pray for a divine appointment, it's amazing how alert, how God raises up opportunities for us to be able to be an encouragement to somebody and to love on somebody. So pray for divine appointment. You've got to be intentional about this. And I'm hoping that this morning I've encouraged you enough to think that your job is so important. You are called just as much as I am called. That you have opportunities just like I have. It acts even more opportunities. I'll share with one more story about a guy who was a pastor who was with the Southern Baptist Convention. And he was up in in uh, in San Francisco trying to start a church. And he was finding it very, very difficult. You can imagine in the middle of San Francisco... Well, he decided that maybe church wasn't the best route to go, and so he decided to open a shoe store. He loves shoes, and so he opened up this shoe store called the Subterranean Shoe Company. And what he did is he had this, this big couch in the middle of his shoe store, and when a customer would come in, they would sit down on the couch, and he, would, of course, ask them, can I help you? And they would say, yeah, I'm looking for shoes. And he said, well, you know, it's really important to me to know what kind of shoes to really look for, so tell me your story. And he said it was amazing how people wanted to be listened to. And for time after time, they would sit on the couch and people would pour out their whole life for 20 minutes, crying sometimes on the couch, sharing their stories. And he had great opportunities to pray with them and to encourage them and to share Christ with them. He said, I was invited to more gay parties, more celebrations of divorce, and and more bar mitzvahs than you can imagine. And I had more opportunities to share Jesus than I ever thought of having being in the ivory tower in the church. That's why I envy you folks. Because you've got that opportunity every day of the week to bring worship to your work. And if you're retired, you're not off the hook. I'm sorry. You still work, whether it's in your yard, it's at your neighbors, whether you're out there, whatever it is you're doing, whether you're volunteering, you're still working. There is no retirement in God's economy when it comes to being called to full-time ministry. I thought I'd get a big amen from that, but that's okay. You can can be quiet. So is work a four-letter word in your life? Sometimes work has become very toilsome, and I know it's tough. The stresses are hard. It's difficult. We live in a culture today that's pretty godless. But you realize that God has you right now just exactly where he wants you. And I'm going to be speaking here in a couple weeks again. On how to find resilience in ministry. And one of the things that we see in resilient people is you got to bloom where you're planted. So your job stinks right now. That's okay. But if you worship at your job, you're going to find out that it's going to be very rewarding. And I was just, I'm going to be a little selfish here. Would you pray for me next Sunday? Because next Sunday I get to speak at a celebration of freedom rally in New Jersey. Four churches are honoring police officers as first responders, and I get to share my faith with all those folks out, outside next Sunday. And I'm so excited because, again, because of my intentionality, what God called me to do with the police department, God's given me this opportunity. So I'm so excited about it. And I'll hopefully be able to share with you in a couple of weeks how God used it in the lives of some police officers. But let me just close by asking you this. Are you worshiping at your work or do you worship your work? Tomorrow morning, when you get up, you're not going to work. You're going to worship. Amen? Let's pray. God, I want to thank you this morning for the privilege it's been for me to share how important our work is and how important to bring ethical and integrity and a hard-working ethic to work. But but God, help us to remember that we're representing you at the workplace, that it's a glorious opportunity to worship you in a way that we've never thought about before. So I pray, God, if this church is going to have an impact in this community, it's going to be because folks are going to work with the right attitude, and they're going to work to worship. And I pray that you would really encourage us and energize us to do that. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.